Hello and welcome to the Bicom podcast. I'm Samuel Nerding, Bicom's research associate. This is a Easter Pesach episode special. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by my boss and Bicom's director, Richard Pater, all the way from Israel. It's coming up to the Easter weekend, um, the 14th of April. And we think it'll be a good opportunity for Richard to explain to all of you what's been happening in Israel over the last few weeks. It's been an eventful time, particularly in the political and security domains. So, Rich, let's start politics. It's been just about a week since we've had that surprise resignation from Yamina MK Edith Silman. How has the government responded? The government, first of all, I think uh, primarily this, this, this has been viewed here as a failure by Prime Minister Bennett, kind of the, uh, the basic ABC of Israeli politics of, you know, protect your flank and, uh, and look after the home base. And it was seen only in hindsight that whilst uh, Prime Minister Bennett was doing some really important diplomatic work, um, flying off to Sham to meet with the president of Egypt and, uh, and even meeting uh, Putin in, uh, in Moscow and acting as a, uh, as a messenger over the, uh, the, the Ukraine crisis, he neglected his home base, he neglected to appreciate the pressures they were, they were under from, the, uh, from certain um, uh, quarters of the uh, national, national religious movement that was so incensed with the idea of, uh, of the original sin, so to speak, of Yamina entering a government in their, in their narrative, betraying their right-wing electorate and forming a government with, uh, with left, uh, left of centre and even an Arab, an Arab parties. And despite the important work that this government is doing, trying to build a consensus, and, and exactly for those reasons of building this hugely broad, unprecedented co- coalition, um, that, that's, that's where they're being, being criticised very heavily by their, by their original, uh, their former partners. Now, what are they doing about it is that, uh, that the Prime Minister is now, he, a day afterwards, he called together the rest of his faction. He understood kind of to be, he needs to be more attentive to their, to their needs. Um, there may be some legislative uh, um, uh, bonuses that they can throw their way in terms of, uh, for example, extending the electricity to some of the unrecognised set- settlements, which would definitely uh, appease the, the right wing flank. Whether that's going to be enough is not clear. Um, broadly speaking, the other coalition partners have all met this week as well and kind of understood that it is you know, that the government is not even a year old, that it is still worth uh, still worth fighting for. Otherwise, I think more broadly, if you speak to kind of to analysts and other other political voices, I've had the privilege of speaking to people from the, the government and of the opposition over the over the last few days. And, you know, depending on where they are, they'll give you a, their particular partisan view that the government is is finished. Um, our, our broad assessment by was that this is the end of the beginning, but there's there's no immediate. Uh, I should be careful, but there's no anticipated immediate breakdown that they I don't think there's going to be another renegade just to be clear that we're now tied at 60-60 and if one more rebel was to leave the government coalition then theoretically the the opposition could uh, could disband the Knesset and take us to other elections there are other scenarios but I'll leave that uh, I'll leave that for now but the general thinking is is that in a month's time when the Knesset comes back from its uh, from its uh, spring recess then there's just going to be a war of attrition by the uh, by the opposition they're going to every vote is going to be kind of a, a, a nail a nail biter. And and at some point the government are going to realize that they may not be able to, to pass and advance any legislation. Um, and that will kind of will grow some frustration. We don't we don't yet know 
what kind of the ultimate trigger will be um, for someone to pull away or for the government to uh, to collapse. But uh, that's looking where we're probably going. I, if I would, if you're going to put me on the spot, I would say kind of two or three months uh, shelf life, and then we may see uh, see that collapse. Unfortunately, you um. I mean, if you put yourself in Benjamin Netanyahu's shoes, it, it, what's the best way for him to get back to Prime Minister's office? Is it through another elections or can he somehow form a government with the current Knesset? Is that is that possible? How, how the kind of the political... I mean, I mean, theoretically, it's possible. I think his best bet is to uh, to find just one more one more renegade rebel, probably from the Emina party, um, despite Bennett's efforts now to keep everyone closer and and then to be able to trigger this uh, this vote that disbands the Knesset the polling and again we've, we've said it before we should be very uh, skeptical about believing the polls but at the moment Netanyahu is polling um, consistently um, ab- above uh, kind of mid 30 seats which is beyond what they what their final uh, what their final tally was last time um, yet still the overall picture still looks fragmented and uh, and and maybe uh, maybe deadlocked again but certainly, if you're Netanyahu, then you're you're pulling for you're pulling for one more one more rebel and uh, and and bring the show down. This week, two two um, opposition MKs have kind of dominated the news headlines in the political kind of political pages. One um, joint list MK Amenoda and um, religious Zionist chairman Bessel Smutrich. Perhaps you can just um, give a sense of or explain kind of why they're in the news, what they've said, and, and why they come under um, heavy criticism. Sure. Well, let's start with Ayman Oda, who's the leader of the joint list. And if you, if, you, if you recall just a few years ago, he was the great hope of kind of a pragmatic, I'd even say moderate um, Arab leader that was kind of wanting to forge ties with the Israeli uh, um, left, even Zionist left. Um, and he's kind of had the, the, the rug pulled from underneath him because of the move of the split of the joint list and uh, Ansar Abbas and the United Arab list joining the government. So uh, uh, Odes kind of reverted to more classical form of his party of, and his latest comments were, were, were challenging the non-Jews, both uh, Muslims, Christians and Druze that serve in the security forces on Israel's behalf, in the Israeli police, in the IDF and telling them that they should be kind of uh, ashamed of themselves, they should put down their guns and return to kind of to fighting against the occupation. And I think that it's a kind of a classic moment in the discourse, because here we have a government, as I mentioned, Mansour Abbas, part of the government, the United Arab List, who is doing everything he can to build the bridges, build ties, kind of reconciliation, recognize the historic uh, discrimination that has an underfunding that has preceded this government, but trying to fix those wrongs and trying to do as much as possible to integrate the Israeli Arabs into, in, into Israeli society. And here you have Ayman Oda, who purported to kind of to share similar um, beliefs, kind of re- reacting and responding um, in a quite a cynical and uh, malicious way against those brave non-Jews who are serving in the in the IDF and the police. Um, now, Smotrich on the, is on the other side of the spectrum, but ironically, you know, they both share, share share part of the opposition benches as not being part of the government. If you imagine the the political spectrum looking more like a a, a, a horseshoe shape, where the kind of the extremes meet uh, meet together at uh, at, w- at one end. And Smotrich is there criticizing, basically using a very old trope within Judaism, suggesting that uh, synagogues should make members of the Yamina party, then that's uh, uh, Prime Minister Bennett's party, its former party ally, um, unwelcome in synagogues because of their betrayal of the right. Um, he, it was quite a hard pushback against him 
yesterday. These are the comments that kind of, again, in, in, in Jewish teaching, teach us about baseless hatred and why the, uh, the Second Temple was destroyed um, was because of the, uh, the infighting amongst the Jews. And this is kind of seen as a, as a classic example or a, a, the, latest, uh, the latest version of that, of that trope. Um, so people have pushed back quite hard against him. He has tried to explain himself and uh, dig himself out and just explain just why, how upset and, and, and uh, unsatisfied he is with this, with this government. But there is this, this toxic mix here between politics and, and religion, which quite frankly, never really, uh, never really ends well. And as much can be done to separate those issues, I think will be better off for everyone. Enough. Let's move on to the uh, the security situation. It's been a very difficult couple of weeks in Israel, um, as I'm sure all our readers are, are aware. Um, what's the kind of general feeling as we go into the kind of the very important religious holiday, the Easter Easter weekend? What's the kind of general feeling in Israel at the moment? So we're talking into April the fourteenth today, Thursday, and tomorrow is kind of a rare event in the, on the on the shared calendar where it's the first night of of Pesach, the Seder night. Uh, here in, here in Israel on Friday nights, the second Friday of Ramadan and also Good Friday for the, uh, for the, for the Christians. So it's an amazing, it doesn't happen very often that you have this, uh, this, this, this combination. That, that, that is kind of adding to really the pressure that is being felt after the, and I'll be careful to call it a wave of terror. If we've spoken to, uh, I think both you and I have heard from security experts this week, who have slightly pushed back to say, you know, we shouldn't necessarily be calling this a wave of terror. It doesn't constitute a wave yet. This is more atmospheric um, terrorism, one that is motivated and inspired by the by the next one. Um, what's different between this and other waves? Obviously, we. I mean, I was here living through the second intifada, where we had uh, the, the the phenomenon of suicide bombings, which was considered the most horrific. That you have a kind of a a, a guided missile. That, uh, that with, with a human brain on it, they can decide exactly where to explode, giving the maximum impact of, uh, of, of innocent uh, victims. Um, five years ago, we saw the stabbing intifada, which one can be a little bit more as horrific as it was, one can be more resilient towards it. But this, this fate has now moved um, automatic weapons, um, machine guns, homemade, homemade pistols and, uh, and, and of, of the sort, and opening up uh, random shooting in the center of, uh, of, his, of Israeli towns. Obviously, this is kind of a concern. There has been a, after initial fear factor, and, and I've always said, you know, you count these events in the hours and the days that sort of go between the attacks, and we hope it will be many hours and days before we see an, another, another attack. Um, but that's the atmosphere. But the other, but on the other side, there is a resilience here that people don't want to cower to terrorism, one don't want to change one's, one, one's lifestyle um, and give in to, to terror, which is that the, the essence of terrorism is to strike that, that fear into a civilian population. Um, we know that for the last week or so, the IDF and the security apparatus have been on, on significant operations, largely focused in the Janine area, but not exclusively so really across, across the West Bank, trying to, uh, to use their intelligence and their understanding of where there are cells who are planning to, uh, to, to carry out attacks um, and, to, and to apprehend the, the suspects as, as, as much as possible before they're able to, to carry anything out. Um, we, we, we hope that's successful. We hope that we have an uneventful holiday period, but even on the streets kind of within, within inside Israel, just going around uh, yesterday around, around, around Jerusalem, you can see a beefed up presence. You can see that there, are, there is certainly on far higher uh, alert and aware of, uh, of God forbid, uh, further attacks. You mentioned there the, the IDF have, have gone into West Bank and done targeted kind of operations. Um, 
the government had been very keen to try and keep situations as normal as possible um, to keep uh, to allow Palestinians to keep coming into them Israel to, to work. Well, can you just explain why? What's the government's reasoning behind? Whereas in before they might have, you know, five years ago they might have done a blanket closure over over kind of checkpoints. Where now they're trying to keep them open. So just yeah, give it a, a sense of what the government. Sure, I know. Thank you for the question. So I think it's it is relevant to note that there is that the the um, the government and the security establishment on the constructions of the government try to operate a policy of distinction whereby they understand it's in, it's in Israel's best interest to improve the, the, quality of, the quality of life and standard of living for regular innocent Palestinians. And one of the uh, central aspects of that is allowing the facilitation of, uh, of Palestinian workers to come into, uh, to, 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 to work inside Israel. And we know that for every, the statistics have borne out that for every Palestinian worker, because of the higher even, even if they're on a basic wage in Israel, is so much higher than what they could earn inside the Palestinian Authority areas, but that they're able to sustain and look after X number of, uh, of, uh, of, of members of their, of their family and, sus and sustain a higher quality of living. Israel recognizes that. Israel has expanded the, uh, the, the, the workers' permits. By the way, also not just out of the West Bank, but out of Gaza as well, which I think is at a pretty much at an all-time high since, uh, since Hamas took over which is significant. And so, and, and you'll also notice over the last two or three weeks, there are a number of high profile meetings. Um, Defence Minister Gantz and others were involved in, uh, in, in discussing both economic, social and security coordination with their Palestinian leadership as well. And also in coordination with the Jordanian King and, and, and his government there as well, so that they are as, as coordinated and, as, uh, and, and, uh, and can prepare as, as best as possible. Um, I should note that this is not a substitute or replacement for um, for political uh, for political talks, which again, apropos the conversation earlier about the the, the pressure within the the coalition, um, Bennett is not endorsing any political process right now. He doesn't see that, uh, that the Palestinian Authority, although Abu Mazen significantly did condemn one of the latest terror attacks, um, he still continues to, to to pay the terrorists and the families of uh, of, of terrorists. And there is still the issue of incitement, etc. So for Bennett's perspective, he does not see them as appropriate partners at this stage. But he has given the approval for other senior members of the government to act, as I said, and focus on economic and security cooperation. And I just think going forward as well, it's that security cooperation. When Israel operates inside Jenin and inside these areas, it can only be done so primarily once it has some some form of, uh, of coordinated steps with the Palestinian security forces, lest the two of them clash. Um, so I think that's also an important uh, factor which is ongoing, despite the pressures uh, within the Palestinian society, perhaps to cool that off. Um, and again, also in, in the light of, uh, of Ayman Odeh's comments, also makes it even more ridiculous. If you think about it, Palestinian Authority are cooperating in security. They understand that the enemy is Hamas and that that is a, a shared threat against Israel and against Palestinian stability as well. And uh, well, hopefully that will continue. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you a question on Iran and JCPOA, but just quickly, you mentioned there Gaza and Hamas. Um, I believe there was a meeting yesterday in the Gaza Strip between um, Sinwar and, and his, his, um, his uh, cabinet. Well, what's, a, what's the general sense in the Israeli security establishment with, um, with Hamas and whether they're going to get involved in, in what's going on in the West Bank like last year? Is there a, is there a fear that, that, that they could or, or is there a thing that you know, Hamas are, are still licking their, their wounds from, from last, last year and, and are... I mean, I think we have to be careful. I mean, I mean, the, 
this the senses the assessment that we understand at the moment is that Hamas don't have a, an interest in uh, in starting off any uh, any more any more rocket fire. We saw a report a week or two ago where Islamic Jihad wanted to respond with rocket fire after one of their cells was uh, was was killed um, in Jenin, um, and that Hamas prevented Islamic Jihad from firing. So that's a that's kind of a noteworthy element. Um, and and you know Hamas is playing a double game whilst they're <coughs> excuse me continuously inciting in the West Bank and inside Israel proper for, for to, 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 to people to carry out attacks. They're not at this stage ready to fire rockets yet and launch another offensive from Gaza. Um, but I would be very careful about that because you can find that situation changing quite uh, quite quite quickly. Uh, let's move on to, to around JCPOA Vienna talks. It, it's been a couple of weeks, I've not really heard much. Um, there was a really interesting and Washington Post article just last weekend about the Biden administration potentially U-turning on, on um, delisting the, the RGC on, on, the, on their State Department's terrorist list. What's the sense in Israel? Is, is there a sense that the, the talks are stalling and Biden might be, be coming around to maybe not giving what Iran wants to, to return to the, the nuclear deal? You know, there's, there's an old saying here in the Middle East that when you're not, uh, when, when, when you're not invited to dinner, it means you're on the menu, um, and and that was kind of the message when um, when Secretary of State Biden came to the Negev summit and met with all the regional leaders, none of whom were at the table in uh, in in Vienna, and heard an unequivocal message um, from Israel, from uh, from from Bahrain, from the Emirates, from Egypt, um, and from Morocco, all speaking the same concern about this uh, this developing deal. I'd like to think, and this is kind of, I suppose, an optimistic take, is that that message was heard, understood by uh, by Blinken, and these, and they've reiterated that to the White House. Whether that will be the kind of the final uh, the, the final clincher, it's far from clear. The fact that they haven't done this deal, the fact that uh, Congress itself and some and some brave uh, U.S. politicians are also putting their head above the parapet and kind of making it clear that the that the IRCG taking them off the terrorists, for example, is a step too far. That that would be that would be a quite a, a shocking uh, abdication of responsibility by the by the U.S. Um, so one hopes that Israel and uh, and the regional partners do have some influence in this process, um, but it's but it but it's still it seems all to, all to play for and something that we'll be we'll be watching. And I know that that you and I and Bython will be will be speaking to more experts, um, some of them on record, some of them off record, and kind of using that to enhance our further analysis and hopefully bring some of those voices um, to our audience as well. Right. Well, thank you, Richard, for that um, excellent just insights into uh, Israel and what's been happening in the last couple of weeks. Um, but for now, I think we wish everyone here a happy Easter and a, a good Ramadan and, and a good Pesa. Absolutely. Um, happy happy Easter, Ramadan Karim, Chad Sameach to all our viewers, listeners, readers, and uh, hoping for, uh, for a quiet holiday period.